Our sermon for today is God can save anyone, blessed Trinity. God can save anyone, blessed Trinity. I'm going to share with you as we prepare to pray and turn to God's word, several quotes. God can do anything, can't he? That's a quote from Gracia Burnham, the former missionary. She also said, and it's not over till it's over. Her husband, just over 20 years ago, Easter time, Easter week, this quote from him in 2002, Martin Burnham said, I am so glad that when Jesus paid a ransom for us, it was enough. Do you believe that? When Jesus paid a ransom for us, it was paid in full, fully sufficient. Nothing else needs to be done for sinners for our salvation, except what Jesus has already done. And then um, just remembering them on, you know, the anniversary that just passed it, the 20-year anniversary from their story and that dramatic story of 20 years ago this past week. I was drawn back to this more recent quote from Gracia Burnham from a, a speech, uh, a talk that she gave this spring to the YouthCon conference. She said, can we begin to believe that God takes us into hard situations? Did you hear that? God takes us into. God takes us into hard situations, not to crush us, but so that we can learn to see his hand and learn to trust him, learn to trust him when he's doing a good work. God's work, she said, is always, always good work. Amen? So as we, we reflected upon that anniversary of Gracia and Martin being delivered from their captors, the Abu Saif Islamic activists back 20 years ago this past week. I remembered those quotes and thought about those quotes. And as we move towards this Sunday, Trinity Sunday, and our message today, God can save anyone. Blessed Trinity. Let's pray together. Holy God, as we come before you today, let us believe your good news. And Lord, if there is anyone here who is not awed and totally humbled by you and by your saving grace, Lord, I pray that you would speak to their hearts now because the truth is it may well be that they do not know you because anyone who knows you has their life and their heart transformed. And it becomes all about you when we're actually saved saved by you and when we actually know you, Jesus. So I pray, I pray today that, Lord, you would call to yourself those who are not totally transformed by you, because that means they're not in you, they're not saved, they're, they're not filled by your Holy Spirit. And for those of us who are indeed believers, let us be renewed today by your calling and your mission of salvation for all who would believe. In Christ's name we pray indeed. Amen. God can save anyone. You can see in the sermon notes the basic three movements of the sermon today. God can save anyone, number one. Number two, God's saving mission. 
blessed trinity and we look at the saving mission of God, God the Father in the saving mission, God the Son, Jesus Christ in the saving mission, and God the Holy Spirit in the saving mission of God. And then the third movement, God's saving mission is the joy and the mission of every Christian. I mean, in other words, if you're actually saved, it's your joy and your calling every day, every hour to be engaged in this mission of God's outreach to others and God's saving grace. We're going to begin with a couple of scriptures and we'll include a number of others in our message today, but we're going to open with two passages from the New Testament, one from the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 19 verses 23 through 26. This is Jesus' teaching to his inner circle of apostles and a few other disciples following the encounter with the so-called rich and righteous and very religious young ruler who has come to Jesus to say, what else do I need to enter the kingdom to have eternal life? Hear now God's word. And Jesus said to his disciples, this is after the young man turns away because Jesus asked him, to sell everything he has and give to the poor and come follow Jesus. And, and the rich man turns away because he has a lot of stuff. He's not ready to follow Jesus. And Jesus, says, and Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, I may and I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, Jesus says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. In other words, being saved is impossible. Human beings cannot, cannot grasp or accomplish salvation. With man, this is impossible. But with God, Jesus says, all things are possible. And then to the Apostle Paul's first letter to his protege, Timothy, from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom... I am the foremost, or the first, protos, I'm the first, I'm at the head of the line here. I'm the first who needs to be saved. But I received mercy, Paul says, for this reason, that in me, the foremost, the first, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. And now the doxology to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. God can do anything, can't he? That's what Gracia Burnham said in a recent talk, and it's not over till it's over. Uh, as we began Vacation Bible School this week, we began Vacation Bible School on the 70th anniversary of D-Day on Monday, June the 6th. 
We, many of us remember that day. In fact, I shared it with the children as part of our opening worship celebration with them on June 6th, Monday. But then we came to June 7th, and if, you're, uh, if, you, if you've been around for, for more than 20, 25, definitely 30 years, you'll remember the story, perhaps remember the anniversary on Tuesday that, that those of us who teach our children and our families about Christian heroes in our era, you know, and, and what it means to be faithful, we all remember, we marked that anniversary, the anniversary of the release of, from captivity, of Martin and Gracia Burnham, that the missionaries in the Philippines who were held for more than a year by the Abu Saif um, Islamic activists. You remember the Abu Saif activists? Uh, they're affiliated with Al-Qaeda, but they're officially part of the Islamic State Network. In fact, Abu Saif is just their popular name. They're actually uh, literally the Islamic State of East Asia, and they're active in the Philippines, Malaysia, Indonesia, and elsewhere throughout East Asia. Well, you may remember that Martin and Gracia, they were young missionaries. I think we're going to show a picture of Martin, hopefully, so you can kind of connect with him. As That's them as a, as a couple uh, heading towards their 18th anniversary. I don't know if we can go back to the earlier picture of Martin when he was younger. Yeah, that's him when he began uh, serving as a jungle mission pilot. Uh, with New Tribes Mission in the Philippines in the second half of the 1980s and all through the 1990s. An excellent pilot helping missionaries reach unreached or only partially reached uh, native groups throughout the islands of the Philippines. So the Burnhams were there for 17 years. You know, a lot of pilots make a lot of money doing a lot of different things. This guy was committed to serve Jesus Christ, gave up a lot of lucrative offers so that he could be a mission pilot in the Philippines. They were there for 17 years. Gracia was involved in the ministry also. And if you remember their story, you know they have several children. She raised the children, homeschooled the children there in the remote area of the Philippines where they served. And so they were there. And then you come up to 2001, in May of 2001, their 18th wedding anniversary was coming. And Martin decided to take Gracia, you know, they worked so hard. They went to a beach resort in the Philippines. I don't know if you've ever been to a beach or vacation or a beach resort. resort. That's what they did. And on May 27th, while they were there celebrating, it's 2001, you know, a little bit before, several months before the 9-11 thing, okay? They were kidnapped by Abu Saif um, uh, activists, okay? So they, their door was knocked down, literally knocked down, and they were taken captive along with 18 other people from this beach area of the Philippines. Now, now what happened over the next several months is that Abu Saif killed several of these hostages and they released several others, but they kept the three Americans. Some of you are nearly as old as I am, so you may remember this story. They kept the Burnhams, who were American missionaries, and you know, the Christians are known to have money and you know, access, American Christians particularly, and the other American, they kept them as captives because the uh, terrorists, they really wanted to make a lot of money and they held these folks for ransom. And the Burnhams over uh, more than a year were trotted every day across all kinds of jungle terrain. Uh, Gracia testifies that after a few days and definitely a few weeks, 
Uh, you know, her, her feet were bleeding and infected, and she had all kinds of other problems. But what really concerned her was what was going on in her heart, because she had, you know, hey, she'd been a mission worker for 17 years, but she found out that she really didn't love and trust God the way she thought she did in that situation. She said her heart became filled with hatred and resentment towards her captors. I mean, she really hated those Muslim uh, terrorists who were holding her hostage. And she knew that was going on in her heart, and she started to doubt God. How could God let this happen to them? I mean, after all, they'd given up everything to come here and be missionaries for all these years, and, and now who knew if they'd ever return to their poor children and, and the rest of the story? And she said in the midst of that, one day, Martin, her dear husband, said to her, it is so heartbreaking for me to see you turning away from God and from your faith right now. And Martin is a good husband, and I pray that all of our husbands here would be able to do this as shepherds. Of course, they didn't have a Bible. I mean, they didn't have any provisions with them. But of course, Martin knew the scriptures, and he began to recite the scriptures that they would be marched by their captors from this place to that place. They were always on the run. Um, Martin would recite scripture, and Gracia particularly remembers him quoting from Isaiah. Most of you know Isaiah. We preached on Isaiah for more than a year. Um, that, that I've loved you with an everlasting love, God says. And even when you go through the fire, you will not go alone. I will be with you. And Gracia remembers Martin reciting those kind of verses to her, and she felt her heart being changed and turned back to the Lord. Uh, and she began to, this was a, she knew this was a miracle from God because she didn't want to do this. She actually started to love and pray for those guys who were brutalizing her and ruining her life. And she actually began to trust that, even though she didn't understand it, God might somehow be working through her pain and devastation. And so she said, it was, it was a time when God started changing me. She said, you know, God can bring peace to you when you're brokenhearted. Do you know that? God can bring peace to you when you're brokenhearted. He can bring good things out of the pain you're enduring. He keeps giving us a day of grace to serve him again. She remembers one of the most frustrating parts of that story. So I remember this, this part of that story really painfully. You know, a lot of us were much more focused on the line 11 thing and the aftermath of that in the beginning of the uh, Afghanistan conflict, but still, I remember this. You may remember this. In, in, Easter, coming up in Holy Week, before Easter of 2002, I mean, they'd been captive for almost a year at this point. A large amount of money was put together and given, I mean, just flat out given to the Abu Saif. But the Abu Saif leaders decided, well, we made a lot of money, but we want more. And so they decided, even though the ransom that they had demanded had been paid, they were gonna ask for more money before they released the Burnhams. You remember this? And, and, and Gracia talks about how frustrating that was for her, and she said to her captors, look, <laughs> let us go. This is gonna turn out badly for you and for us if you try to hold us further. But even in the midst of that, she remembers um, the night of Easter that Martin, right as they were kind of starting to go to sleep, Martin turned to her and nudged her and said, I am so thankful that the ransom Jesus paid for us is full and sufficient. Jesus' payment for us, he said, 
doesn't need anything else. The sacrifice for our sin and for even these guys, if they will believe in him, has been paid in full. Do you believe that in your hard times? And do you believe that for others? Well, that's what Martin Burnham believed. Well, I think you probably remember the story. Um, in, in June, they'd been in 16 previous of these firefights, you know, with the Philippine mili military. And then sure enough, on the 17th one, on June 7th, 2002, uh, the Philippine military attacked. Um, and, and for the first time ever, Gracia herself was shot, shot in the leg. She rolled down a hill they were on. Martin was near her, but he had been shot in the chest and was bleeding profusely. And uh, anyway, the military this time succeeded in defeating and capturing this Abu Saif contingent that held the Burnhams, but Martin was dead. But uh, Gracia was able to recover from the injuries that she had and uh, a year later wrote that best-selling book in the presence of my enemies. Well, the story goes on, and I was really struck by hearing the latest updates from the story at this uh, YouthCon conference, just looking at the, the YouTube. You could access it if you want to. Uh, she tells about the fact that this was an update from an earlier update I'd heard from her a couple of years ago, that, that now, uh, let me just take you through the last few years. A few years ago, a couple, an American couple that works in mission ministry, prison mission ministry in the Philippines, started realizing that, that there were some guys who loved these comic books that Gracia Burnham's foundation is distributing in the prisons. And uh, they, some of them started saying, we see Gracia Burnham's name on this. You know, we held her captive <laughs> for over a year. And she, she asked this couple, this American mission couple, to ask for their names. And she said, yeah, sure enough, several of these guys were with us every single day of, you know, 13 months in, uh, while we were held captive. And uh, she started working with the mission guys, this couple, and they started sharing, and she started sharing, I think connecting uh, by Zoom, in sharing the gospel with these Muslim terrorists who are in life sentence prisons. And um, she says now, a couple of years ago, it was four, now five of these former Abu Saif are born again Christians. Can you believe that? Five, <laughs> through this direct connection with Gracia Burnham. And uh, she says that one of them now, who I think he's the fifth one who's been saved, he, he was the worst of all of them, a violent murderer. He has, uh, he's been convicted of, who knows how many people he actually killed, he's been convicted of killing 20 people. 20, he's murdered 20 people as an Islamic terrorist, and now he's born again as a brother and sister of you and me. Isn't that awesome? She says, we, we just keep praying. And she asked this youth group, she said, I wonder if you'd want to start praying too. When you think about me and think about them and our story, pray for these men in prison. And I don't know what your prayer life right now is like for terrorists who are serving in prison, but I want to invite you in to this glorious ministry of God today. Because, see, here's the good news. God can actually save anyone. Do you believe it? God, God can save anyone. And she says, God can do anything. And I think that God has let me be a small part of what's happening there in the prison just to encourage my heart 
because he loves doing things like this for his children. God can save anyone. As Jesus says, with man it's impossible. Nobody, there's nobody. I don't care if you grew up in a church. I don't care if you do all the right things. Nobody can save themselves or warrant or leverage God on salvation. I mean, and definitely people who have stuff. Pretty much all Americans by the world standards are rich. So we're probably, we're, we're all, I mean, we, we all are having impossible row ahead of us. But you know what? What with man is impossible with God is totally possible. Do you know God? I mean, he's awesome. He can save you. He can save you. With God, all things are possible. How does he do it? Well, it's the mission of God in the fancy language of theology. This is called the Missio Dei. It's the mission of God. It's not our mission. We just are invited to join into his mission. He's the one actually doing the saving mission. And number one, it's God the Father. For God so loved the world. How committed is he to this mission? For God so loved the world that he gave I mean, he gave his one and only son. I mean, to go all the way to this, to the cross, right? He gave his one and only son so that whoever, wait a minute, you mean a terrorist? Yeah, whoever, you mean that guy that really irritates me? Yes, whoever believes in him should not perish. You mean my ex-spouse that I'm really mad at? Yes, whoever believes in him, the guy who cheated me out of, yes, my former partner that I'm, I really hold resentment, yes, yes, and you're probably called to be a missionary to this guy. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. First Timothy, over in chapter 2, we're called to pray for leaders, and, and why? Paul says it's, it's good and pleases God our Savior who desires that all people should be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Oh, that's what God wants. That's what, that's what the Father wants. Well, what about the Son that he sent? Christ Jesus, uh, saying, is trustworthy. Now, the word there, the pistos, by the way, that's a little phrase that is, you get five times in the pastoral epistles. It's nowhere else in the Bible. This is a trustworthy saying, Paul says, and twice he says it's worthy of full acceptance. Over in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, when he talks about God being our Savior, and here when he talks about Christ Jesus coming into the world to save sinners. And let me tell you the way this verse plays out. So it's trustworthy. We're supposed to believe in it. The word there, pistos, is like have faith in, okay? We are supposed to have faith, accept it fully. No qualms, no exceptions, right? Accept it fully. Um, that Christ Jesus, now, you know, when Paul uses Christ Jesus, kind of like saying like Queen Elizabeth as opposed to Elizabeth the Queen. Both those words, sometimes you get them in different orders in Paul. And here Paul is clearly emphasizing the fact that Jesus is the anointed King and Savior, God himself who's come, okay? Christ Jesus came into the world. Remember how God so loved the world that he sent his son, gave his son to the world, okay? Here it is, the same word again, the cosmos word there. So he comes into the world, and the next word in the Greek is hermatelus, which means sinners. So here we've got the king of the universe, the son of God, coming into the world, and he's going to address sinners. Now, if I were writing this story and I didn't know the gospel, what would I say he's going to do to sinners? He's going to condemn them. He's going to condemn them. He's going to bring judgment on them and probably eviscerate them and clean up the earth, right? Wonder what he's going to do with sinners. Well, we get the next word. It's a verb. So say, right? From he's going to 
save sinners. That's why he came. For the Son came not into the world to condemn, but so that the world might be saved through him. John 3, 17. There it is in Paul, too. He came to save sinners. Wow. What a mission. And what a mission for you and me if we believe it. Because we're called into that mission for people we might not like on the face of it. He came into the world to sinners to save. Um, remember Mark 10, 45, that key verse that we looked at when we preached through Mark? For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. There's the payment. That's why he came. But, but how does that apply to me? That's over 2,000 years ago, and I'm totally separated from God. So how is that payment, and how is Jesus going to be connected with me? By the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit is going to not only impute, but also infuse and impart the work of God the Savior in me. The ransom is applied to me. The life, the death that Jesus has given, the life that he gives is applied to me. So God the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, wait a minute, Greeks are pagans. I, th I thought they were out, I thought it's only the Jews. No, Jews or Greeks, slaves, Wait a minute, slaves? You want me to pay attention to slaves? Yeah, God came and died for them, okay? The son died for them. Slaves or free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. Think about communion next Sunday. It's all one big family. It's awesome by the Holy Spirit. The Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 14. The grace, the gift of faith, is the work of the spirit in us calling us into communion with Christ, okay? Romans 8, 9 through 11, it's the work of the Holy Spirit in us bringing us to life, to saving life in Christ, which then gets us back to number three, God's saving mission is every Christian's joy and mission, okay? It's my joy, if I'm, if I'm saved, I'm awed by this, like, if I actually even begin to know who Jesus is and what he's done for me, it claims me. It, it totally claims me. You think it's a big deal when somebody says, I want to marry you and, and be with you for the rest of my life? That pales in comparison to what, who Jesus is and what he's done for us, okay? So it, it claims me, sets me on fire. It's my joy, and it's my mission. Because if I love him, if I love him, and I know him, then I want to serve him in his mission. It's not a mission I create. It's not a mission that the elders can get together and figure out and, you know, map out on a piece of paper. A lot of churches, unfortunately, try to, it's like his mission. He, he's doing it, and we're invited into his mission. But you know what that means? Not just leaders, not just the few, the proud. That means you. If you're saved, you're called full bore into this mission. It's your calling to join with Jesus, your Lord, to join by the power of the Holy Spirit in you, God working in you, into this mission. Paul says, and this is an awesome testimony, uh, you know, the saying is trustworthy and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world sinners to save, of which I'm at the head of the list, Paul says. I mean, I'm totally blown away and totally claimed by the fact that Jesus, I persecuted the church, Paul is saying. I persecuted the church, and now God has reached me. 
And not only that, what Paul is saying, bigger theology here, is Paul is saying, I'm representative of Judaism that rejected Jesus, okay? But God is coming to redeem his people Israel. And so you know what? Even though many of the elect have rejected the salvation that God offers, I'm at the front of the list because I was the Jew among Jews. Read Philippians 3, right? He says, I'm the first. I'm the foremost of the Jews. And he says, therefore, also, I'm the first of the sinners who need to be saved. Connect the dots. That's what he just said. It's an awesome statement. So if you're trusting in your religion or your church pedigree to save you, Paul is saying, no, 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 I'm the Jew among the Jews. Faultless under the law. Philippians 3, right? Faultless under the law. But I'm at the first of the, I'm, I'm at the, first of the line, please, among sinners who needed to be saved. And because of that, Paul says, God is using me and God will use you, Christian, to reach others, to understand this is not about you. This is about God and how awesome God is to change your life and to reach everyone for Jesus Christ. So that's what Paul is saying. I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the first, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience, his patience in Paul, with Paul, his patience with you, right? As an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Gracia Burnham says, had I known while we were going through our hard year in the jungle that one day even one of those guys would come to know Jesus because of our experience, I could have made the day so much easier to bear. Oh, me of little faith. I could kick myself now and say, it would have not been enough. Couldn't I trust God? And can I trust God now for what he's doing in my life? Can we begin to believe, she says, that God takes us into hard situations, not to crush us, but that so that we can learn to see his hand and learn to trust him and join him in what he's doing? May it be so with you and with me. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forever.